mission today. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. A.W. Tozer says this. He says that Satan has opposed the doctrine of the Spirit-filled as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the Church of Christ to receive from her Father her divine The Church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for the child of God a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit. Father God, we just invite your presence in this moment. Thank you, God, that I know the anointing was on the worship and the prayer before, God. Thank you, God, that I know you filled this room before we even woke up. But Lord, right now in this moment, we intentionally welcome you here into our lives, into our hearts, and into this experience here at Church God, into our worship. Right now, would you just turn your own heart to the Lord? Welcome him. Call him friend and father and counselor. Lord, we turn our attention to you. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. Amen. You can grab a chair. Thank you. Can we, can we back up just a, a minute or two? I was so excited again to today's sermons that I had some announcements I was supposed to do, and I completely just did not do them. Is it okay with you? Okay. We're going to back up. I know this is a little odd, but I was just so excited I want to get into it. So we're going to go back really quick. Some of you have been asking about uh, how to plan your Christmas this year and what we're doing. And I just wanted to give you a few quick details so that you can be planning and make sure and make note of that. December 18th, we're having a cookie social sweater party here, which is right after church. If you are new or been around, this is a great time to plan to stick around to get to know some people. Come into the lobby after service, get a cookie, and talk to somebody new. You maybe make a goal of, I'm going to meet one new person. That's December 18th. On December 24th, we are having a candle lighting family uh, Christmas Eve service, 24th at 3 p.m. And then every week, as you know, we have a service on Sunday morning, but this year Christmas falls on Sunday morning. And so that week of Christmas, we're still having one service. It's just going to happen to be on Saturday afternoon instead of Sunday morning. 
And so Sunday morning, we just encourage you to spend that time with your family. We're working to create a little video devotional to send out to you that day that you could actually intentionally spend time, 10, 15 minutes with your family, going through the Bible, praying together as family members or out by yourself and just intentionally inviting God into that Christmas experience before all the food and the gluttony and the presents and all of those good things that we relate Christmas to. Amen? So be it. All right, can we go back to the sermon? All right, let's go. A few years ago, I tweaked my back. I know that's surprising to you, looking at me, the peak of epitome and health and everything. But a few, you, we, a few years ago, I tweaked my back. Um, I've only done this a few times in my life, but it felt pretty bad. And at the suggestion and the encouragement of my wife, I went to see a chiropractor. It was my first time seeing this chiropractor. He did a full assessment on me. He wanted to just know everything about me because he wanted a full, healthy picture of me more than just the back. So one of the things he had me do was to stand up straight, and he said, turn right. Just turn your head to the right. So I did that. Then he said, turn left and look left. So I did that. And then he said, now turn left without turning your body. I looked at him just kind of confused. and just, what? He said, turn left without turning your body. And I, I turned left. And what I came to understand in that moment from his prompting is that I was much more agile, had a much fuller range of motion on my right side of my body than my left. When I turned left, I would get about here, and then I would turn my shoulders, not my neck. And I didn't realize this ever until he pointed it out. I didn't realize that I had uh, not been living to the full range of motion that I had available to me. But, like anybody that maybe has that, uh, something that's less than the whole, impaired vision or hearing, a shorter left foot, a neck that doesn't quite turn far enough left, your body just adapts and learns how to live with it. And it compensates for it. And you get by. If you've ever had LASIK surgery or a cochlear implant where you're seeing a kid for the first time here or something else along those lines, you realize that they've been doing fine getting by in life, but there is a whole further range of life to be lived that they had not yet even known or experienced. Until that moment, I didn't know there was a more fuller range of motion that I could be living, that my life was actually a little bit limited. I just had no idea. And so to quote Paul, when he met with the leaders of Ephesus in Acts 19, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? A few weeks ago, we looked at the Holy Spirit we talked about in our Ephesians study. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 13 says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you at the moment of salvation. When you were created anew in Christ, God brings something back to life in you. Is it your mind? Does your body, all those things on the outside from outside appearances stay the same. But God says there's something that he's turning from death to life in you. And what's that thing? It's that spirit, it's your soul, it's that shriveled thing. You inherited death from your father. But God came and says, at the moment of salvation, I remove that inheritance of death and give you an inheritance of life. Here's life that you can be breathing. I give you your, not my, Holy Spirit. And he breathes life into you, much as he did to Adam 
the first time, made out of dust, puts the Spirit of God into man. And God comes and does the same thing. And this is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, where our bodies become the place, the holy temple, where God's Spirit can reside inside of you. You carry God's presence with you. It dwells with you. Man and God are no longer separated by a wall of sin and animosity, but we come together and you're invited in. The Bible uses language like a plant being grafted into the tree. And we are welcomed into God's family, into his life. And he shows this by depositing or putting his spirit on us. And he uses languages like sealed or marked. You are mine. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells you. He fills you. He brings you from death to life. Person that has ever called Jesus Lord and Savior, that's ever called on his name to be saved, at the moment of belief, God's very spirit comes and dwells inside of you. Amen. But this is the Holy Spirit in part, not the Holy Spirit in fullness. And so today we're going to be taking a little bit of time. We're, it's still under the umbrella of Ephesians study, but we're going to be looking outside of the book of Ephesians and looking at a few other passages, specifically Acts 19. The, Amy and I are avid garage shoppers. If we weren't Christians, it might be our religion. We love garage sale shopping. We map it out. We plan our summer and trips around when Fox Mill Valley's having their garage sale and all these other ones. We love a good deal okay one year while amy and i were walking around between houses around a certain subdivision i was walking down the sidewalk and i stepped on a piece of paper a trash that had been thrown in the ground i looked down and i picked it up for whatever reason and it was a pamphlet from a local church on the holy spirit i took it home i wanted to study it. i wanted to see what did that denomination what did that community believe and teach on the holy spirit and basically, between that pamphlet and their website and of statement beliefs, it basically reads like this. We believe that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. He draws us to faith and that spiritual life. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to become Christ-like by filling, guiding, instruction, comforting, and equipping. All of that is absolutely true. We've spent multiple Sundays and time talking about all those things that the Holy Spirit does. But I would say, and I believe the Pentecostal Assemblies of God would say that that is the first coming or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That every single person, even before this, has the calling of God on their life. And this is the instructor, the comforter coming to instruct and comfort and be that presence of God in your life daily, reachable, practical, personable to you. All of that is true. But it, the indwelling is the Holy Spirit in part, not the Holy Spirit in full. And that is today what we're going to be talking about, is that full measure, the fullness of coming in to God. You know, every year, um, I just already told you we like a good deal, but we have many 
we have many nieces and nephews, and they're all little, and we have multiple just church, we have large families, and so we have quite a few presents that we have to knock off of our list every Christmas year. And so Amy and I, we usually operate on a budget, and to make the best of that budget, we always just go really hard on Black Friday or Cyber Monday, and just usually are able to knock out most of our list by the end of that weekend. And so this year, we did all of that, and what happens is that there's just this Armageddon of presents. It's almost embarrassing for the neighbors to see all the packages packed up on our porch. We're almost like, go around the back. Don't let them know. Come at night, okay? But Monday morning, I go outside. There's a couple packages on the ground, and so I go, and I pick one up, and uh, I got the little notification from Target or whatever, and it said, these things have been delivered. I'm looking through it. And it said, there's two unicorn necklaces, because we fancy people, okay? And so I said, there's two unicorn necklaces that have been delivered. So I'm opening the boxes, opening all three boxes, and there's only one necklace in the box. So what do you think I did? You think I just shrugged my shoulders and said, that's fine. You think I bought it again? Do you think I said, ah, oh, it's okay, it's whatever? No, I called customer service, and I said, hey, we ordered two necklaces, but I only got one. I only got part of the gift. Later on, I found out that my wife accidentally brought the other package in. It was in that package. But that's besides the point. <laughs> the gift had been delivered, but only part of it. But I expected and I wanted the whole thing. Did you believe? Did you receive when the Holy Spirit when you believed? There is a second filling. There is a second coming of the Holy Spirit, friends, that you do not necessarily receive at salvation. There is a fullness that you can expect to walk into in the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Today's sermon, a little bit outside of Ephesians, loosely related, but it will set us up for where we're going in chapter 4 in the weeks to come. You know, when I first went to the chiropractor, it seemed the obvious choice would be is that I want my full range of motion back. Sign me up, doctor. Let's do it. I want to turn left without turning my shoulders. Think about all the energy I'm going to save. So he says, okay. And so we start going through. And he says, okay, it's going to be about two months, two visits a week. And it's going to cost about this much. And I said, stop right there. I'll live with my infirmity. I can power through this on my own. Very quickly, I realized that there is something that it takes to live that full range motion of life. And I decided that this was enough. It's really easy for us to approach the Holy Spirit with a this is enough mentality. There's a deepness, there's a depth there available to you, a fullness available to you. But when you come to the Holy Spirit, it's easy to say, I, I have the comforter, I have the spirit, I have the teacher and the guide, I have all these things, and that is enough. It's not a blatant it's not a blatant thought that just comes into our mind, but it's an underlying one often that pervades how we approach the Christian life. A.W. Tozer said, the past 200 years, there's been differences of opinion on the Holy Spirit more sharp than almost anything else in the faith. If Satan can't get us fighting about it, though, he'll try to shroud it with mistruth. On the subject of the spirit of baptism, it's been easy for many people outside and inside the charismatic faith denominations, the Pentecostal denominations, to dismiss the filling of the Spirit. 
We have the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's enough. Or perhaps you just don't consciously think this, but when you think of that filling or the people that you know they're filled, it feels uncomfortable, uncontrollable, unknown, and it scares us. I don't want to lose control of my body. What if the Holy Spirit asks me to do something that I don't want to do? Will I lose control of my limbs or my mouth? Will people look at me weird? It just feels odd. I don't want to do that. And maybe we don't actually believe this or say this, but there is sometimes when we approach the idea of the spirit baptism, there's this underlying thought process of the, that's not for me. That's for like the people on stage. That's like for the altar team or the worship team. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I'm a mom. I'm, I'm a teacher. I don't, what's, I don't need that. That's for the other people. I don't want to get up in front of people and go to the altar. And it can be scary because it's unknown to us. But I want to bring a little bit of hopefully comfort and build an appetite in you to understand that this isn't just, it is unusual in our current day and age, but the filling and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is not a biblically abnormal thing. It's something for the body of God and for all of them. And it starts well beyond the apostles or Paul of the new church. Jesus himself on his last days on the way to crucifixion and once he's risen and comes back, builds an atmosphere of expectancy into his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. John 14 and 15, as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he says this in John 15, verses 15, he says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him, but you know him. Because he lives with you now, and later he will be in you. Jesus, in the presence. The Holy Spirit's here, friends. But later he's going to come and he can be in you. In your life, deeply seated into your life. After Jesus died and was resurrected and he's preparing the disciples, Acts chapter 1, verses 3, says Jesus, he's saying this. He's saying, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This echoes John's own words. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, as he was preparing the way for Jesus' ministry, going and calling the people to turn from their sin, to repent, to turn back to God. He says this in Mark 1, verses 7 through 8. John announced, Someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave, untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Some versions say fire. And this is where we get that spirit baptism language. Baptism, the Greek word is baptizo. It literally means to immerse, to plunge, to cover up. And it does not mean sprinkle. It is, not, it is a full dunking process. I believe this is the language that it talks in Ephesians chapter 3. 
Similar to a water baptism, we are to submerge a person under the water fully. We are supposed to also be fully immersed in God. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Amy talked about this a few weeks ago. And this is, I'm going to start in verses 16. It says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Spirit language. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. This, friends, is immersive language. We're to be dipped and drenched and plunged and dunked and fully submerged into God. But you cannot do it on your own. We want to approach our faith so often on our terms. I set the time I pray. I will pick the reading plan. I will dictate how much, how deep I go into this faith journey. But the Christian experience is a revelation of God to trusting, following people. As you trust him, he will reveal more of himself to you. As you move forward, he will call you. It's all based in love. Paul's first prayer for the church in Ephesus, the, the, the new coming church and new believers in chapter 1, his first prayer for them was to know and to experience God. His second prayer in chapter 13 is that we would be fully immersed in him. That baptism word means to be dunked or to fully submerged. And I believe in these verses that's showing that as you begin to experience the power of God, the fullness of God, the power as he strengthens you inside of you, that you will begin to not just know Christ, that he begins to envelop you. To take over you. And as you begin to be taken over and as you begin to be filled, that you begin to realize and recognize and experience God's love in a way that you didn't know you could before. That it'll, the depth and the heights and the width and the breadth, you'll be able to experience it in deeper and deeper and deeper ways. Unlike a chiropractor visit, it costs you nothing. But also, unlike a chiropractor visit, it'll cost you everything. You can't buy it. You can't uh, conjole your way into it. You can't chant or raise your hands enough. You simply present yourself a willing, empty host ready to receive, holding no bars back. Holy Spirit, come. I open myself to you. You can have me. All of me. Every part. Can't buy it. Some tried. They were cursed. You open yourself to the Holy Spirit and his work and his leading in it. Mm. I would venture to say that most people are fearful of the unknown, myself included. Not just in this, but just in life in general. I want to know what will happen. 
Maybe you're hearing all this. You know the altar call is coming. You know there's going to be a call to come forward to receive. And you're already starting to put the walls up of saying, that is just way too scary. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what will happen when they pray for me, put their hands on me. I don't know what will happen. I want to encourage you. Because so often, I believe that Satan wants to shroud the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit with fear. He wants to get us thinking about all the ways that it could go bad or could go wrong. But friends, this is the Spirit of God coming into your life. Where there is God, there's no fear. Second Timothy 1, verses 3-7, through 7, he says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember the, your tears as we parted. I'll be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that was first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Where the Holy Spirit shows up, friends, fear does not. Instead, you receive the love of God and the power of God and discipline to live out the life that you can't just will it. You know you can't just will your way into the kingdom of God. I get nothing from my prayer time. I'm just going to will it down. Come, Holy Spirit. Get your teeth. I did my chapter in my 10 minutes of quiet time. No. It's a self-discipline born of the Spirit that allows you to begin to walk a path that is too hard in the flesh to do. A spirit of power and a spirit of love that comes on you. And it's not just for the religious leaders. You know, I love this in Acts chapter 6. Last week we talked about Acts chapter 6 and how the amazing thing of the church, the new church in Acts, wasn't Acts chapter 2 when they got 3,000 believers and they're all together, is that they were able to survive a moment in Acts chapter 6 when they almost split the church over a problem in the food pantry. They're feeding the, Greek, they're feeding the Hebrew-speaking widows and not the Greek-speaking widows. Everything they needed for a church split. So what did the leadership do in Acts chapter 6, verses 2? We apostles should be spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We give them this responsibility. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need it as a mother, as a construction worker, as an accountant, as a uh, whatever else. A driver, a semi-truck driver, food pantry, a cook, a waiter, whatever you do, college student, youth student, middle school student, a kid, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will change how you approach the day. When you're tired and at your wit's end, you haven't been all Sabbath in months, and you just feel completely burnt out, and there's nothing left in you, and that person that requires extra grace comes to you and they demand that grace from you by being annoying or asking for something they shouldn't or just getting into your face. 
What reserves do you pull on when you are empty? Boom, Holy Spirit, enter the scene. When you're worn out as a tired mother and you have nothing left to give, where do you pull your reserves? Holy Spirit. When you're a tired father and you get home and you have nothing to give to your wife, you're zoned out and stressed, what do you do? Holy Spirit, come. To be a Pentecostal, to be a charismatic, to be assemblies of God, person or church, is to be a person hungry for the fullness of God lived out in our lives, our normal, daily lives, so that we can do it in an abnormal way. Not how the world does it, not on self-help guides, not by just will of power or strength, but a fullness of a God life in you living out through you. The love and the power and the self-discipline to do all the things that you couldn't do on your own. This filling of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is a fulfillment of Jesus' mission statement. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life is not the Holy Spirit in part, but the Holy Spirit in full. That abundant life that Jesus wanted to impart to his followers. And so we echo Paul's question again. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Jesus and his apostles, were. he taught them to live in expectancy of the full experience of the Holy Spirit to come. And there are so many reasons that you might want to be filled with the Spirit. He's the teacher, the truth speaker, the counselor, the comforter, the advisor, the power of God, the spiritual gifts, your prayer language. But what matters more than any of those attributes is the main purpose of the Spirit's filling your life. Is that you may have the fullness of God in you personally. That it's evident. That it's intimate. And it's in you. Isn't an immersive, full process that allows you to know God that will affect how you live your life. This is the mature life that Paul is teaching in Ephesians. To move from immaturity, to move into the fullness of God. You must be filled. You have enough to get by. I can turn my shoulders and I can still look. But there's a full range of living friends out there available to you today. A full range, a fullness of God that I can only tell you about, I can tell you the stories, and I can tell you about, but you must personally and demand it, expect it, want it for yourself. You must be the one that prays, Lord, come. I have been praying this week for you. Lord, prepare their hearts. Lord, any obstacle, take that away. Lord, get them in the service today. Any faults on my own, take it out of my mouth and may them hear your word. But you have to own it and claim it for yourself. You have to want it. You must be willing to do the work. I like to cook in my spare time. I like to do it when I can and you know, in a pinch, I'll go to the store and we'll make soup and I'll buy the $2.29 box of chicken stock or whatever. 
And it's okay. You have to add copious amounts of salt and usually a lot of heavy cream and lots and lots of cheese to make that stuff really good, but it'll do in a pinch. But when I have time, I like to put the work in. I like to save the turkey carcass and put the, I like to roast it and to char it and throw the bag of uh, spices and herbs in there. I like to make that stuff for six to eight hours and boil that stuff down so we have a deep and thick and rich chicken stock. It requires work and intentionality. It requires an effort. It will not just happen. That $2 stuff from the store is enough. It'll get by. But there is something out there that's so much richer and deeper. The same applies with the Holy Spirit. You have him. He's present. But there's a richer, fuller, deeper experience that if only you would be excited. If only you'd be eager. If only you'd be hungry. If you'd be intentional. If you'd be present and show up. Man, you can, Sid, Laura, you guys can come up in a little bit. Living into the full life that Jesus promised, that God provides, is not just enough to get by. It is that full life where you can begin to thrive and live into that fullness and abundance that Jesus promised you. And it's something that you may not even be able to understand until you show up and say, Lord, I'm willing, fill me. All of this begs the question of how, how? How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? And so we like three-step symptoms. We like here's the three steps to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have the fruit of him in your life, and to never sin again, and to be a millionaire when you die. We like all of those things. But there is... No three-step process to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I will give you a few directives today. But you already have the Holy Spirit inside you. And so my biggest, most loudest encouragement to you is to let the Holy Spirit guide you. He'll tell you. He's kind and loving. And he wants that fullness of life that he has for you, for you. He wants to give it to you. So he'll lead you into this. The very first thing is that to walk into a spirit-filled life, I believe, is to have an active and obedient faith. Acts chapter 5 says, We are witnesses in these things, and so the Holy Spirit, who is given to God, to those who obey him. In John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. First thing is, are you having an active and obedient faith? Mr. Grice stopped me, unaware of what we were talking about this week. He stopped me this week and he said, I have a few thoughts for you. He said, we talk about Pentecost and the tearing. He said, awakening is coming up soon. He said, but this is something in our faith that we do regularly, scheduled into the calendar year of intentionally emptying ourselves of the gunk that we build up just in the normal course of life. And so the first thing I ask you to do is to begin to say, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that's not of you right now? He'll fill in the blanks. Those things will come to mind. Those things that you know are not of God, but you've been dismissing. Or maybe you did, or you've been doing, and you didn't even realize that wasn't of God. But he will let you know gently and kindly. 
he'll course correct you. Are you living out your act of faith? Are you being obedient to the best of your knowledge? Are you doing what you know is right to do? Will God be able to fill you? Do you have an empty, open heart? Or is it already full of junk? Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Present yourself and your whole self to God. Here I am, Lord. You can have me. Come with your full self. Don't hold anything back. Come with him and saying, Lord, I'm here. I want to be empty. I want to be filled. Lord, come. Please come. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Luke 11, verses 9, he says, Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? They ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Trust God in this, friends. He's not going to make a fool of you. And he will not trick you and hurt you. You've trusted him this far with your life and your eternal life. Trust him the next step in this, in your daily normal life. 